So 1 Peter 1, 17 through 21. And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge you or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners in the land. You know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But he has now revealed him to you in these last days. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. You have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Amen. Pray with me as we get started. God, I pray that, God, you will calm our spirits, you'll sharpen our minds to, to receive what you have for us um, every day, <laughs> especially today as we are gathered just to hear from you. God, may your message be clear, um, and may we have open ears. Praise in your name, amen. Okay, so... I want to just acknowledge something before we begin that I'm really aware when I come away from a, like a couple of days I just had where I'm, I'm not in fellowship really with any Christians at all. And just the, the conversation is so different. You know, the conversation that I have with you guys is very different than the conversation I had with them. With them, it was just all about outdoor sports. We were, you know, we were always going out rock climbing, mountain biking, whatever. And that's just all we talked about. And, and it was a very hedonistic culture. So we, we were just like pursuing whatever was play, basically. Whatever we, we could find that we would uh, enjoy for a little time. And... And so it's so different, I think, as most of us live in that culture every day. And then we come on a Sunday morning, and the language that sometimes you hear is like, wow, I don't even, that's just, that's not the way I think, that's not the way I talk. These are all concepts that just are very different from what I hear. You guys relate with that at all? Just extremely different. Um, And so... Some of that can't be helped because we are talking about things that are very different than what we'd come up with on our own. Um, what we'd come up with on our own, especially in reference to what, we, what is commonly called spirituality or, or how we, we find wholeness in our spirits. In the world, what we would come up with on our own... Even, the terminology, everything is different. It's all based upon ourselves and the way we, we understand things. And the Bible becomes something very different because we come to something that is explaining to us. right? The Bible isn't asking questions like it doesn't know. The Bible is offering answers because it claims to know. And, and it's, so it's very different. Uh, as we get into what we're reading today, some of the things we're talking about, especially when we get into... The blood of Jesus is just, I think it's very different than the way we often think. And so I want us together to be able to wrestle through it and and kind of get this understanding of what's the answer that the Bible is offering us. Um, 
what are our questions and what are the answers the Bible is offering us? And so, this is where we get started. And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. We're going to launch into this by understanding who your Father is. If you claim Jesus as Lord and God, the God of the Old and New Testament, as your Father. Basically, who's your daddy? If you want to put it in layman's terms. Who's your daddy? And what does that mean for us? Um, we're going to take all, all our understanding today. Is going to, we're going to be wor- working through this, taking the narrative of the prodigal son. Uh, you have three characters in the prodigal son story. You have the son... Who were the younger son who we're most familiar with. The younger son is the guy who, who he understands the character of the father and what the father expects of him, and he feels suffocated by that. He understands the boundary of their property, but he's the guy that's always like cow tipping in the neighbor's pastures. <laughs> that son, right? <laughs> it's like, who set the Smith's barn on fire? Well, it was probably that son. Okay? And then we have the older son who stays at home. Right? He seems to be very comfortable, seems to just fall in line with all the expectations very, very comfortably. And the, the whole story until the very end, he's at home. And in the end, he's the one not at home and the younger son's at home. Um, so the younger son feeling so suffocated because the father is telling him, there are things you can and can't do. The younger son goes, you know, screw this. I'm going to do, do whatever I want to do. And so he goes into the city and just starts living for whatever he desires. And then he comes home. The father in the story is really what holds the story together. The whole story moves We think the story moves around the son, but the whole story moves around the father because of this. If the son came back and the father didn't receive him, we would have no story. Right? Oftentimes, we just glorify the younger son, like, it's so great that he came back. But if the father justly said, you know what, you've squandered all my money, all you've done is give me pain and headache, just, just go back. Go back to where you came from. And if the father did that, and we would understand that, we would have no story whatsoever. So we have a father who is the stable one in the story. The father is this resounding cry, come home, I want you guys home. Home is where safety is. Home is where you can experience the depths of my love for you. And in the end, it's the younger son who figures this out and not the older son. Um, So this is how we learn where it says God does not judge partially, right? He's an impartial judge. And what this means is he has the same love for his children, both older sons and younger sons. And this is still hard for us, right? Sometimes it's hard for those who, like, are, are like old and they've been around for a long time and somebody comes in and they're still kind of like s- screwing up. Sorry, don't have a better term for it than that. Right? And they're still doing that and the old, or, older brother's like, man, I just, you got to shape up, right? 
You just got to understand what the father wants and do it. But then you got the younger son who doesn't always have mercy on the older brother, right? Who they come back and they're like, don't you just understand the mercy of the father? And just love, right? And so we can have this tension here. So what we understand is we understand the love of the Father and what that means and how that works out and how we can be welcomed again into the home where love is. Acts 10.34 says this. Peter replied, he's at the house of a, a Roman soldier, and says, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. Romans 2.11 says, God does not show favoritism. James 2.1 emphasizes this even more and says, how can you claim to have faith in Jesus Christ if you favor some people over other people? But we harbor so much favoritism in our lives. And, this, we, and as it says here, we just can't have that if we're going to be Christians, right? If we, if we claim to love Jesus, we can't. In God's family... We can't have favorites, and God does, not have, God does not have favorites. So as we begin to understand the Father, the Father who judges impartially, why this is so important for us is this, because it matters how you perceive the Father. If you guys are, are you, did anyone read Boxcar Children growing up? I read Boxcar Children all the time, they were awesome. It was actually the, only the first book that they lived in a boxcar even though all the other books are also called Boxcar Children. And the reason why they lived in the boxcar, does anyone remember? They lived in the boxcar because their, their parents had passed away, and they didn't have any place to stay, and the grandfather was a wealthy man, but they had perceived the grandfather was a harsh man. And so even though the grandfather was a wealthy man and could provide for them, they feared him, and so they didn't go to his house. Obviously, by the end of the first book, they figure out he's a really generous old man and just funds all their adventures. <laughs> but but they, they, they didn't have the right perception of their grandfather, so they didn't go to him. And that's why a lot of people don't go to the father, right? Why? Because their perception of God is wrong. Right? Their perception of God isn't that he's the stable one in the whole story of life. Right? That he's the one who's constant, unchanging, merciful, loving, ready to just welcome you into a safe home. But we perceive him as one who is judge. Because why? Because he judges impartially. So, it matters the way you perceive the Father. His title is judge, as we found here, but his title is also father, and what kind of a father is he? Is a question we have to answer as we come to God, um, or we'll perceive him wrongly. And, and we will, like so many people, live with, a, with um, hurtful thoughts about God. Hurtful in two ways, because it hurts him, it does because so many people judge him wrongly, but it hurts us tremendously because we live as orphans in the world, not knowing that we do have a father that cares for us. So, what do you believe about the father? 
is what we come to first. And that's, it's so important as we come to this. If you call God Father, how do you perceive him as your father? Especially as, as we so easily um, fill in those roles in the prodigal son story. I, you know, <laughs> probably every single one of you sometime in your life has labeled yourself as the older or younger son, just said, like, that's who I am. Um, and so if, if that's where we come, then, then how, how do we find ourselves at home again? Um, going from that, it says that we will be rewarded or judged according to what we do. Um, and so I think that's where we move in this, this place where oftentimes as we approach God, we have this strange fear about him because... <laughs> there's still something that we have to do. And we're like, I just don't know if I can meet that. So what are we, what are we called to do as we, as we approach this God who has promised safety and promised to love us and care for us? And yet we feel so insecure because we're still called to do something to enter into this relationship and we just don't feel like we can do that. We just don't feel like we, we can enter into a relationship with God. Um, and on the other hand, sometimes we don't desire a relationship with God. Um, and I think that's the real scenario for a lot of us. As I spent time with all these guys, we went downhill mountain biking yesterday, and we, there was like seven of us. I flew over the handlebars seven times, and it was just, <laughs> thank God for helmets, you know? <laughs> I would not be here today if it wasn't for my helmet. Um, <laughs> and, and I was with these guys, and they're just, they just had a lust for adventure, you know? And... And we're just living, living, you know, whether they, had, they all had different jobs, but they lived for the weekends when they could ride together. And it was so interesting to be a part of that for that day because, um, because I lived for something very different than that. Um, and, and because of that, I had this, like, unrest as I spent four days just, like, adventuring, you know? This, this unrest because I, like, I, wanted, I wanted some more substance. And, and I, I'm saying this very carefully because it's not an indictment on these guys because I really understand what they're doing. I, I understand um, as we approach life and we have so many desires, we understand the younger son who's just feeling unrest and so he leaves the father. We understand that because that's the story of so many of our lives. Who, at times, we don't desire God, right? Like, we, we, if we're going to be an honest church, we have to discuss these things saying, what do we do when we don't desire God? Because ultimately, what sets a Christian apart and what makes him a stranger and kind of odd in the world is because the Christian is someone who says that there are desires that you have that are not worth pursuing. There are desires that you have that in comparison to desiring Jesus, even if the desire that you have is so strong that you feel like abandoning Jesus, that you need to fight for the desire to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
And in the culture we live in, that makes no sense. It makes no sense to fight to desire one thing if everything you desire is for something else. That just makes no sense. And we all, we swim in this stream of how do we, how do we fight for desire when I just desire something else so naturally? Does that make sense? Right? When my natural desires go in one direction, how do I desire God? How do I desire to do, to do what God desires for me to do when I just want to do something else? So it matters, according to the Bible, what we, what we talk about, what we dream about, what we envision ourselves being in the future, what we sing about, what we celebrate. Um, all these things matter because they have huge influence on, on our desires. In First Peter, it says this, 1.14, which we went over last week, don't slip back into your old way of living. In 4.2, it says this, you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you'll be anxious to do the will of God, and that's the desire for you, that you won't slip back into your own desires. So how do we do this? How do we understand our desires, desires we have, and how do we fight for, for what the Bible calls a holy desire? Well, the first way to do this is, have you heard the Johnny Cash song, I, I Keep a Close Watch on This Heart of Mine? It's kind of like that, right? The proverb says, guard your heart, for, for from it flows the wellspring of life. What we constantly fall victim to, um, and because, like I said, this is, the, this is the lake we swim in, right, is that we are not called to question our desires, but to, to experience them, and by that, to find out if they're good or bad. Not realizing, remember last week as we talked about holy desires, and, and my dad read Proverbs 7 about the woman who's like, it comes to him and she's like, my husband's gone, just come drink of love with me tonight. And it says, Un- unknown to himself, he's walking into the grave. And we can't return from the grave by ourselves. And, and I know you guys are like, oh man, he's talking about doom and gloom now. But, but literally, some of our experiences, if we experience our desires, they do, they do have effect on our lives that apart from the grace of God, we cannot return from. Right? It's a very sobering thing. That, so, so why is it important to approach all our desires with a guarded heart is because if you fall victim to some of your desires, they will kill you. And you guys are like, oh, this is crazy. He's just trying to scare us. I'm being really serious. Because, um, Because for us, it becomes so much a matter of what we value. And what we value, we invest in. And what we invest in, it just begins to claim, it begins to claim our lives. This is what drew the younger brother away. Is because he had these desires, 
And even though he had a father he could trust and run them all by, he desired to go and experience them for himself. And so the way teaching often goes, the way Christian teaching or, or moral teaching often goes is this. It just says, so what you need to do is desire less. Right? <laughs> Get rid of your desires. But that's not what it's talking about at all here. The, the Bible... <laughs> just affirms that it wants you to be full of desires. Desires that are, are healing you and letting you experience deep, fulfilling love. God created you to desire. And so oftentimes, since we were like, these are the desires I want naturally, and I, since I can't have those, I need to somehow shut down the desiring part of my heart. <laughs> right? Because, because we just don't want to go through the, the work of, of fighting them. Um, this last week, I've told some of you this, but I was, at, I was at a meeting at a school, and the lady told me this, and she was reading through the, the book that um, is, is along with the movie Fireproof. And, and I'd, so I'd heard this line before, but but she told it to me again, and it really impacted me. She says, she said, don't follow your heart, lead your heart. Right? And I, I was just like chewing on that for a long time. Because I realized I love following my heart. When I'm out mountain biking with these guys, we were doing, I, haven't, I don't even remember the last time I mountain biked. But, um, but we were doing downhill. So you have like shocks in the front and the back. And I was bombing off these jumps that I shouldn't have been doing. And because, because I don't have a problem following my desires. If I want to do something, I'll do it. Right? And I, so I, and I should have died, and thank God I didn't. But, um, but for me, honestly, there's not a lot of, like, just because the way I'm made, there's not a lot of, like, hint, by, by the grace of God, like, he is, he is, lovingly showing me how to desire him because, because honestly, I don't have a lot of like holdbacks in my life. Like if someone's like, you can jump off this bridge and survive, I'd probably do it because that's, that's the way God made me, <laughs> I think. Maybe um, <laughs> I'm just stupid. But, <laughs> but as we go th- through our, our lives, I don't want to just follow my heart because the heart is deceitful, right? But, but where do we find, where do we find something that will guide us that we don't just have to follow our own stupidity, right? And by the grace of God, I didn't go off the really big jumps, right? And by the grace of God, Honestly, I, I'm learning to, um, to be at home with the Father, right? Because, honestly, guys, I don't really relate with the younger son very well. Like, I never did that. But I relate really well with the older son, and, and I, I, want, I want you guys to be in on this, too, who relate with the older son better. Because, because remember, the older son isn't the one at home in the end. Because the whole time he thought he was, 
because he was at home, he, he was following the desire of the Father, but he didn't share the heart of the Father. And so that's ultimately, as we, as we learn what to do with our desires, we're not just learning to like dwell in a church and then think that's good, but we're actually learning to share the heart of God himself. And that is something that is infinitely grand. And, 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 and you, don't, you don't even have the capacity to experience that adventure of, of learning to share the desire of a God who made the world, right? We think we're clever and creative with what we desire. We're like, I desire to be Superman. And, and right, and God's like, and, but God created rivers that you can kayak in and, and mountains that you can climb and, and so much, right? His, what he has to offer you is more than what you desire. <laughs> Do you guys get that? But we value our little desires so much more than we value his big desires because all we see in his big desires and his big scope and his big plan is you're just holding me back. You don't understand. And so don't just try to live there, but share the heart of the Father. And what that means is is to value what he values. Um, and so the, the last question is just, how do I do what I'm called to do? How do I, how do I value? And, and this is the important one. This is when we get into some of the, the harder concepts. Because I think I've talked about a lot of what we experience in our daily living. Um, so how do we value what the Father values? For some of us, that's just the question of how do I actually return home, I think. If we're away, how do I actually return home? How, you know, like the story Angelica shared, um, how, when I feel so dirty, can I fit in again in the Father's home where, where his standards haven't changed and haven't compromised at all? So it's not that we're going back and the Father's going to be like, okay, I understand that my rules were strict. I'm just going to change them so you can feel comfortable. And he doesn't do that because what he has is healthy. How do we fit in again? When we're away, I think we, we understand so much more that God judges impartially. And so we really question if we can ever return back home again. And the Bible offers this solution and this solution is for, for you younger sons who are heading back home or you older sons who are not in home anymore because you're bitter. Because <laughs> you're bitter that God is accepting someone else and you just don't know how to accept that. <laughs> right? Or whatever it could lead to. This is the Bible's solution. And First Peter says, For you know God paid the ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not merely gold or silver, it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And so this is how we return home, is realizing first that it was God's desire for you to come back home before it was your desire to come back home. And he's made a way for you to come back home. So the desire of the Father is that you return home. And he made a way for this to happen, that, that he could be a just judge that judges impartially 
and still receive you back because of the blood of the lamb. And, and this is, and I want us to understand this because this just sounds weird, right? We sing all these songs about the blood of Jesus and, and, and we're <laughs> like there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath the flood uh, lose all their guilty stains, right? And so, <laughs> so some of us who just grew up with it are like singing this song and somebody who comes in new and they're like, there's a fountain filled with blood that's sick. Right? <laughs> right? Or what, what can wash away my sins? What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. <laughs> and so, but there's, there's this like strangeness to it. And, and so let me help us understand that really quick. There's, we relate some of our understanding to this if, if we have any familiar with with. Um, classic culture, just there's always been this idea of blood sacrifice, right? And you guys are like, that's weird. <laughs> and it is weird. <laughs> um, if you are familiar with, with uh, the, uh, the Odyssey, no, sorry, the Iliad, the Iliad, right, there's this point where, where Helen is captured by Paris, Prince Paris, and they go to Troy, and Agamemnon, you guys are like, is this in my mythology class? Right? Agamemnon is chasing after them, the general of Greece, to try to take back Helen. And they have, they have this, this wind that's against them and won't let them go. So what does he do? He goes back and he sacrifices his daughter, and the winds change. And you're like, oh, is that what the Bible's talking about? No, that's not what the Bible was talking about. Yeah, I just want to clarify that. Yeah, okay. So, so what, what is the difference here? Because we, all of a sudden when we talk about propitiation, big word, this is what it means, is the, is the appeasement of anger. This is what we think about. We think about these Greek gods who are just wacko and flying off the hook because they're like people, Right? But what I want you to understand is something very different than that, and that is the prodigal son story. Where in the prodigal son story, we, we see it wrongly because we see the prodigal son as the central figure. And likewise, in our lives, we see ourselves as the central figure. Right? We're so individualistic, we see ourselves as the center of the world. But the prodigal son story, if we read it that way, is wrong. Who is at the center and stable the whole time? The father. Right? The father is there and has mercy ready. Right? If you come back, the father's ready to receive you. It's the same story in the whole Bible. That, that God is the one who's stable. He isn't like these wacko Greek gods who are like, just flying to temper tantrums. Right? But, but because we're individualistic and we don't understand consequence in our lives, that's the way we view God, right? How many times have you heard, I, just, I like the God of the New Testament, I don't like the God of the Old Testament, because the God of the Old Testament just, yeah. right? You hear that all the time, right? And, and we don't understand, partly is because we don't understand consequence in our lives. And a good example of this is, are you guys familiar with the, them wanting to raise the, the uh, the ability for us to have more debt in the country, right? The, um, so we're at over 14 trillion right now, um, just pocket change. 
And, and you might not realize how much that is until you see the amount of zeros that come after the 14, right? And you get tired writing it. And then you'll realize how, how much that is. And this is part of it. We are so individualistic that we don't understand consequence. And I, and I think this is really part of it, um, as we understand. So if, if any of us really fell in the hole and we were just so far that we, we couldn't return financially, we, we have the opportunity of bankruptcy, right? And, and partly, and this is just purely just a natural example, is we work so hard to not understand consequences in our lives. Um, and then we create a gospel that helps us not understand consequence. Right? Um, and so we can do, even no matter how small or great the sin is, we, we're like, I just, I just don't think, I don't think that the punishment God asks is... I think it's too much, right? Because we fear consequence and we do everything in our lives to postpone consequence. Or can't God just overlook it? Can't he do that? Isn't God a God of love? Is the question that we often hear. Isn't he a God of love? And this is where it says most clearly God is a God of love. This is how it explains him in 1 John it says, the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifest in us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. Same wording that you get in, in verse 21 of Peter, first, uh, Peter 1, which says, through Christ you have come to trust in, in God. It says, in this love... In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a propitiation for our sin. So God is love, and how do we understand that God is love? It's because he made his own son as the one who would receive our condemnation. So he's not like the gods that you've heard of. Right, who are, are making these standards that can't be met. He is the God who says, I am not changing my standards, so if you come back, you're living in a home where, where you, can, you can ride your, your four-wheeler around the property, but you know, don't be cow-tipping the neighbor's pastures. Right? This, is, this is a God who wants you to dwell in his safety. And he, he made that happen by by himself taking the consequence of that. And so, so as Angelica was sharing earlier, and, and we wrestle sometimes with, um, how can I return to the safety of home when I just don't deserve it? Well, God has taken it in Jesus, the consequence of that. Um, and so that's what it means. So, so we're in Agamemnon's story, right? He sacrifices his own daughter, what God is asking you to do is to live through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and to find wholeness there. In Hebrews 10, it says we can boldly enter the most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. And it says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of the way to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Right? Why? Because 
because we have been so greatly loved by him. Um, so as we end here, um, the reason why I call this living reconciliation is because, because what the son learned is that he can be reconciled with the father. What the older son failed to recognize is that what the father desires is reconciliation. <laughs> right? He, he just thought it was a bunch of rules he was supposed to follow. But God really does desire a relationship and makes that relationship possible through the person of Jesus Christ and the blood of the pure spotless lamb, right, who was Jesus Christ. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pausing here because I, I don't... <laughs> I, if you guys have questions more about how, how propitiation works, I'd love for you to talk to me. Um, because what hinders us so much from, um, from valuing God more than we value ourselves is because we stay in this realm over here where, where we fail to understand the one who created everything and the way it should work and we understand so well and just and live in the place of understanding our own desires. And we're just like, I just understand that. Like, it's the way I'm bent. But God is asking you to, to join him in desiring, um, in desiring a life beyond our own limitations, right? Where we experience the realities of the gospel, which is, True healing in relationships, um, true healing between us and Himself, um, and to just join Him in that because of what Jesus Christ has done. So, um, we as a church uh, have an awesome opportunity to not only experience that together, but also to pray for each other um, to experience that. So, I'm going to pray for us now. Do feel free to chat with me afterwards. Um, Man, and it could even be chatting with me about this. Like, how do we experience this as a church? How do I even spur someone else on towards, um, towards understanding this or grasping this? Because I wrestled with that these last five days. I was like, I don't even know how to bring this up. <laughs> you know? As like, my heart's so full of just like, um, sometimes wanting to desire more than I desire. And... And wanting to be like, let's not just bicycle ride, right? I love it. And I hope you guys are, are experiencing so much of that because God made us to be able to enjoy that, right? So it's not just being like, I have to live in a monastery. But it's you enjoying so many splendid things like skydiving and, and running. And, but understanding we do these things um, and we can do these things with a healed heart and soul and mind and strength. Um, because of what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. So I'll pray for us, and then we'll sing together. Oh God, I pray that you will um, you'll help us lift our eyes uh, to see you. And, and all of us, in one way, 
to, uh, to return to you, um, to understand that you're calling us to, to experience love. Um, you're calling us not just to be filled with doubts, but to be filled up again with, uh, with the ability to trust a God who is offering answers. I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.